Welcome, everyone, to Understanding the Human Condition. I'm your host, Dr. James Flowers, joined by my fabulous co-host, Robin French. Hello. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I am so excited. Today, we're joined by Dr. Vaughn Bryant, our very own Dr. Vaughn Bryant at yeah. J. Flowers Health Institute. Thank you for being here. <laughs> Vaughn, your career has included more than three decades of service like mine. We've worked yeah. together historically in the past. It's great to have you here. Thank you. And yes. I want to jump right in today. What are some of the characteristics of family dysfunction other than opening it and seeing the photo of my family oh. in, in the book. <laughs> well, like Robin was saying in the beginning, we all have a degree of dysfunction. You know, some of us are more willing to admit it, which actually opens the door to healing. Yes. Yeah. But that question is a great one. And there are some indicators that we can see from looking into a family on the outside. Anxiety is the first mm -hmm. one that pops to mind. Yeah. Yeah. Another one's anger management. You know, people will say, you got anger management issues, or, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, you know, she's just a worry ward, or she's neurotic or anxious. But I'd say that would be the one that most people can see from the outside. It's an indicator that there's something brewing underneath. Yeah. Uh, also, we, we think about boundaries when we're doing assessment of uh, family functioning or relational functioning. We look at boundaries mm -hmm. and dysfunctional boundaries are very rigid and they're sometimes enmeshed. You know, rigid might be mm -hmm. there's no connection, but enmeshed is that the person's way too involved. They're intruding and invasive. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd say the other thing, too, it has to do about really the nature of the connection. Yeah. You, you look at some relationships and you look in families. I mean, I, I've got a big family and, you know, I can just look at my own family. And there's times where it seems like there's a real contentious kind of connection between mm -hmm. people. It's adversarial. Sure. That's dysfunctional. Yep. Um, and, you know, with, with this question, I want to answer about what, what would be indicators of a functional right. family. Because mm -hmm. a lot of times we Good do point. talk about stuff like codependency or even substance use disorders, and we talk about the disordered part of it, but we, right. we rarely really look at what would a functional or a healthy or optimal kind of way. And I would say when it comes with uh, family relationships and boundaries is that they're flexible, yeah. that they're accommodating. They also flow with the developmental trajectory of the individual and the family, which is really challenging sure. to synchronize all that out. Uh, but that that would be an indicator of a healthy uh, family. Another thing, too, uh, when it comes to just that general attitude toward each other, mm -hmm. it's not contentious, but it's collaborative, it's cooperative, it's it's loving, it's caring, mm -hmm. it's generous, it's it's filled with this desire to serve and mm -hmm. even to make sacrifice for the other person and not to be seen as good. But because there's this genuine love for the other person and, yeah. and love really, yeah, we, we think of love in terms of passion mm -hmm. and stuff like that, which is great. Right. But also love, a huge part of love is sacrifice. It's yeah. about a willingness to, mm -hmm. to sit myself down and let someone be mm -hmm. elevated for the moment. And it's not always about huge sacrifices. It can be about little mini sacrifices. Yeah, right? well said. You bet. Sure. Just right. handing the remote over to, yes. to the yeah. other person you're watching Absolutely. TV with. Right. That's a sacrifice. Someone wanting to go out to dinner versus stay at home cooking yeah. one wants to cook it's like okay yeah. we'll stay at home and cook tonight mm -hmm. or yes let's go out to dinner tonight and some, sometimes someone just has to start the little things to yeah. break, break that absolutely right? mm -hmm. yeah what lasting impact does family dysfunction have on us yeah the main thing is it is so involved it's so influential in personality development 
personality develops. The part of personality is temperament, and that mm-hmm. is what a person's born with. Mm-hmm. And you'll notice that if you have any little nieces, nephews, children yeah. that you observe or you see them around. Some kids are more talkative than others. Some are shy. Some are more adventurous. Those are aspects of temperament that really we're born with. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. it's part of our, our phenotype. It's our DNA. It, it represents that unique kind of manifestation of our of our self mm-hmm. but many of that stuff the temperament is what we're born with but so much of the other stuff like our beliefs about ourselves, our beliefs about other people our ability to trust other people our ability to connect with others that's what we learn in childhood mm-hmm. and so much of it comes from our experiences in our family so that's the impact is it really impacts personality development and mm-hmm. it can set in motion patterns of thinking about self and patterns of relating to others that just get continued without ever really checking it. Sure. You know, talking about comprehensive diagnostic evaluations and family dysfunction, Mm -hmm. right? It's part of what you look at as a therapist and how do you weave that part into the evaluation process at J Flowers and looking at family dysfunction through the patient's yeah. lens? Yeah. Well, one of the first things I do after I get someone's basic date of birth mm-hmm. and history of present illness is I ask them, I, I draw a genogram. Mm-hmm. A genogram is a tool that as family therapists we use to map out. It's like an organizational chart okay. of the family. And I like to map out three generations. And I learn a little bit. I learned about who they were closest to. I learned about other kinds of patterns that may have manifested in their sibling group or their parental group or even the, the, the grandparents. So that's a big part of it, too, because a lot of times people's symptomology really mm-hmm. makes sense when you understand the context in which they live. Mm-hmm. It's functional in that system. But then you pull them out of that system it's dysfunctional. That's right. You know, oftentimes patients want to change their family of origin, but we can't really change the family we're given. What can you do to heal from a bad or dysfunctional, bad or dysfunctional childhood? Yeah. Well, the first thing, like I said earlier, is to come to an understanding and awareness of what is optimal relational functioning? What What is functional family life look like? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, sometimes when people kind of get enlightened on that they become real angry and they'll lash out at their own family of origin which you know hey more power to you sometimes that's part of the healing process to find your voice but it's also important not to get stuck there and to move forward into okay so it is what it is it happened and now what kind of wisdom can I extract from this experience so that I can do something different today that will alter the trajectory of my future. And that's how generational patterns, they get stopped. They get, they get uh, reversed or they get corrected. And you'll see sometimes, I know, I know you've seen this, mm-hmm. that some people come out of a, a tremendously dysfunctional relationship or, or family. Maybe there was a substance mm-hmm. use disorder. Mm-hmm. And that person becomes a teetotaler. Right. They don't drink at all. Mm-hmm. And, and so sometimes it's just part of the natural evolution of, of, of the family or of humanity that we do learn from our mistakes. But a lot of times we need, we need help from an outside right. person, a professional. So that's how we do it in the comprehensive diagnostic evaluation. Help them to, to understand those patterns and then equip them with healthier ways of, of moving forward. Where do you see our clients going wrong when trying to heal some of the 
yeah, dysfunction yeah. from the past. Well, I I have this saying uh, that that I have used to really organize a lot of the way I think about families and about individuals, mm-hmm. and that is that that people have symptoms, mm-hmm. but systems have problems. And I think a lot of times people go wrong when they try to treat a symptom, mm-hmm. when the symptom is not the problem. It's only a, a indicator. It's like the warning light on a dash. Right. And uh, then the cause analogy. is something much deeper. So like huh. for an example, yeah. I'll talk about anxiety. So mm-hmm. anxiety, it's the plaque that clogs the arteries of relationships. Mm-hmm. And so many times people have these internal kinds of expectations of perfection or sometimes they're external that they may have had a parent that was real demanding highly critical mm-hmm. had a certain expectation of what they were supposed to look like this that and the other mm-hmm. and the person's in this constant state of anxiety because mm-hmm. they know they're not measuring up to what is expected or what the yeah. expectations that other people are they're not being who other people want them to they don't have that freedom to just be themselves mm-hmm. and they may think they have an anxiety problem Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they don't. What they do have, the problem, is they've got an inaccurate perception of their own self-worth and their own sense of, of expectation of life. And, you know, me personally, I had a revelation probably. It was back when we were working together. It, mm-hmm. it didn't necessarily have to do with you. I don't know. Maybe sure. the Jay Flowers vibe was just <laughs> working on it me. It was around the room. You were flowered. <laughs> yeah. But about, I don't know, 15 years, maybe 20 mm-hmm. years ago, we were working at a hospital together. And I can remember being up in the chapel mm-hmm. at, at that, that hospital. And it was, it was a quiet place yep. in, in the facility. And I was just going through some stuff. Up personally, mm-hmm. had to do with family of origin, and you know, just a, a feeling or a sense that that I had screwed up or that I wasn't m- measuring up, I wasn't meeting the demands, and you know, I I just had this kind of spiritual awakening, and it was that I'm not good enough. And I know a lot mm-hmm. of people are cringing right now. Oh my God, mm-hmm. don't say that. No, yes, say that. Mm-hmm. The problem that I had carried, the burden I had carried with me for so long, and it, it really, I'm not blaming my parents for that. Mm-hmm. It was that I, lo- I wanted so bad to be good. Yeah. <laughs> How do you like that? I never yeah. wanted bad to be good. I, I wanted so bad to be good that I tried everything to get other people's right. admiration or affection or yeah. recognition. And the thing was, I got people's admiration, recognition, and affection. And right. Right. I got people's rejection. There you and go. I got people's criticism. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I got people's critical evaluation. Mm-hmm. And so what I realized is that I'm not, I'm not good enough. I'll never be good enough. Right. And if I can have an internal sense of what's adequate, okay, and I can hit that mark every day. Mm-hmm. Some days I'm going to peak, man. I'm going to be above adequate. Absolutely. I might even be exceptional yeah. for a day or two. Mm-hmm. But I can't keep it up. The other reason why is because the people that are judging my performance have their own measuring right. Exactly. framework. Yeah. Right. And so I think that that's a big part of the, the curing the cause. The cause of that anxiety and insecurity was not the problem. It was the symptom of a deeper problem, mm-hmm. which was this inaccurate perception of, of adequacy and, mm-hmm. and this expectation that I had to be perfect or exceptional. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, as you know, we all think you're exceptional. Oh, we do. <laughs> we do. Yeah. We see exceptional things. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Let's talk about dysfunction as it relates to generational trauma. Okay. Um, 
we often repeat toxic behaviors of our parents and our grandparents and what have you, and mm -hmm. it lives on. Um, how do you overcome that? Yeah. The first part is being willing to really embrace the negative reality. Uh, yeah. there, there's a great book. I, I know I've heard you talk about Henry Cloud before. Mm -hmm. He writes these yeah. books on boundaries. And in probably 20 years ago, af after he wrote a whole very successful series on boundaries, he wrote one on integrity. Mm -hmm. And it was like the seven qualities of integrity. And one of them is this, this ability to, to embrace negative reality. Uh, this ability to to recognize that hey stuff's broken mm -hmm. and and things are out of sorts mm -hmm. and to do it again like i talked about earlier there's this real short window where i give people permission to be mad as hell to be pissed off to, sure. to just be furious then to move toward healing mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. and i'm going to give you an example one one of the the clinical techniques that, that I learned in the second half of my career. Actually, I first heard about EMDR when I was in graduate school back sure. in the 80s mm -hmm. and or 90s, I guess. Uh, it, that's when it was developed in 1990 <coughs> or 1987, 89, something like that. But I went through an intensive training on EMDR and I actually heard a lecture from Dr. Francine Shapiro. She was the one who developed the, sure. the procedure. And she was talking about work that she had done with perpetrators of sexual abuse. And I know mm -hmm. this is, you know, kind of a scary and taboo topic. Mm -hmm. And she talked about her use of EMDR with them. And one of the, the realities that she observed in her research was that many of the victims of sexual abuse, these ones that went on to perpetrate abuse in the next generation, mm -hmm. when you ask them, you know, what do you think about your dad or the guy that perpetrated? Well, you know, my dad, he was just doing the best he could. And there was this desensitization to the horror of what had happened to them as a child. And in that desensitization, they became kind of, well, desensitized mm -hmm. to the experience that the victim has. So I think that's one of the things with mm -hmm. exposure to mm -hmm. dysfunction desensitizes you to it. And yeah. you don't have that flashback reaction. So that's a, that's a big, you know, consequence sure. right there of of going through those. And so for the healing part, it's important to get angry. You know, I, mm -hmm. I will, and again, I don't really promote any kind of uh, experiential kind of like anger expressive mm -hmm. type therapy. I don't really believe in that, but I do believe in the processing of that emotion. And EMDR is a beautiful way of doing it, Absolutely. letting it flow out. Yeah. And and I, I do believe too that when a, pers when, a, when a person's in that trauma, they're in a state of fear. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now when the, when the threat subsides a lot of times that fear evolves into anger mm -hmm. anger it's like mm -hmm. we can work with that right. because now you have this sense of advocacy for yourself you know that that was wrong and you're you're actually standing up for yourself and mm -hmm. so it's it's in that anger mm -hmm. it's important to do something productive right. and allow yourself to formulate some new principles about life you know the people did this to me and it makes me angry I am going to develop a new way of relating to others mm -hmm. that's, that's going to be a, a, a positive kind of opposite. That's a great segue to what I was going to ask is how can we stop repeating the cycle of dysfunction in our families, yeah. right? Yes. So. Well, you know, this, this may sound real corny, but it really begins with that internal work with self and, and really coming to terms with self. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. and and forgiving self, loving self, mm-hmm. empowering self, trusting self, believing self. Yeah. Because until a person really has that secure sense of self, right. they're really not going to be able to confront some of the difficult conversations that are going to happen mm-hmm. with other people. And I'm going right. to say another quote, and I, I came up with this. Back in the day, Twitter was really popular. You know, I tweeted this out probably about five or six uh-huh. years ago. One day, <laughs> I was just sitting there thinking, I'm like, uh, or I had a conversation with a friend, <laughs> and uh, I said something, and he was like, man, that was good. I said, okay, I'll tweet it. And this is what it was, that the people who hurt us are rarely involved in our healing. Ah. And see, that's another thing. A lot of times people feel right. compelled yeah. that they got to go back to these people who hurt them yeah, and somehow no. work it out. Yeah. But no, there are, and you know, people have asked me too about forgiveness. I, I remember at one point I used to have that philosophy. Well, you have to forgive mm-hmm. to move on. Yeah. And then somebody told me a, a, a horrendous uh, abuse they, they were a victim of. And I changed my mind. I said, you know what? There's some things mm-hmm. that are unforgivable. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm going to give you that one. You don't have yep. to forgive them. Right. And the people who hurt you are rarely involved in your healing. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's, it's an internal thing. You, you mm-hmm. heal yourself. And, and spirituality is a very valuable resource for people to work that out. Yep. Mm-hmm. And healthy relationships with others is another way. Mm-hmm. What's an example of something that is not forgivable in your mind? Oh, wow. Um, man. So I'll just say that example. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. That example was a person who was sexually abused by their father. And now they were grown and they had kids of their own and they were struggling with that. Well, I don't don't know. You know, people Mm -hmm. in family tell me I need to forgive them and bring Mm -hmm. my kids around. I said, no, that one, you can hold on to that because her or his, I can't remember their anger Mm -hmm. and unforgiveness about what that person had perpetrated on them Mm -hmm was protecting that next generation. Mm -hmm. So sometimes Mm -hmm. really saying, okay, you know what? We're done. I'm not going to forgive you. We're not going to make up. Mm -hmm. I'm going to move on. So that's one example. And sometimes people sit in the victim role, right? I often talk about moving from victim to victor. Yep. Uh, What's the victim or survivor mentality? Mm -hmm. And how do we move beyond that? victim into victor or moving into healthier space well it starts by finding safety yeah because many times if the victim is still in a situation or circumstance where the threat is present they're still a victim yeah Mm -hmm. so the first thing is to stop the assault find safe refuge somewhere Mm -hmm. you know escape or surround yourself with people that are supportive and protective of you then move toward that healing process and come to terms with and recognize the the fault, the error, the in some cases the evil that was perpetrated mm-hmm. against you and allow yourself to have that healthy degree mm-hmm. of anger. Mm-hmm. And then to learn how to reorient their set. One, one thing that I've seen happen with trauma is that many times people will develop philosophies that they'll attribute to an entire generation or group or sure. of people. Mm-hmm. And the reality of it is if a basketball coach molested me when I was 12, it's not a healthy or rational thing to make the assumption that all basketball coaches are perverts or mm-hmm. molesters right. mm-hmm. or all coaches are molesters or adults aren't safe. Right. And so a big part of that healing too is being able to experience meaningful connections with safe people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll tell you one more uh, example. Yeah. 
I remember working in a clinical setting once, one time where I was the only male therapist. It happens. James, it happens. you know this. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, and there was a female survivor of sexual trauma. Mm-hmm. And the clinical director said, well, you can't work with her because you're a man. And I challenged her on that, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And we worked through it and we talked through it. Mm-hmm. And I said, look, did, 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 did the client say she didn't want to meet with me? And she said, no, actually, the client wanted to meet with you because she was in your group and she thinks you can help her. I said, okay, has it ever dawned on you that maybe having a safe relationship with a male who's nurturing, caring, compassion? Yeah. You said it. Yeah. It's part of the healing. So that therapeutic relationship that we facilitate mm-hmm. in therapy, as well as those healthy relationships with other safe people in the family. Mm-hmm. It could be a brother or sister that were also victims. Mm-hmm. Now you band together and you're a group of survivors. Yeah. What do you say to people who use the excuse of their past to, um, for, you know, as an excuse for their poor behavior? Yeah. I mean, how do you stop them from self-sabotaging? Yeah. I do that again because it was my mother's again. fault. I do that because right. it was my father's yeah. fault. Yeah. 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 Well, I remember saying something once in in a family therapy setting to a parent, Mm -hmm. and they had a child that was an adult child Mm -hmm. who had a pretty serious, severe personality disorder. And the parents were were all stuck on this thing, this feeling it was their fault. And so they felt like they had to fix it. And I told them, I said, you know what? What happened before that person was, say, 18, 19, 20 may have been your fault. But once that person became an adult... Mm-hmm. It's their responsibility. So that's yeah. the thing. Mm-hmm. It may have been another person's fault. Right. But now it's my responsibility right. to do something different, to yeah. make yeah. my life different, mm-hmm. to, to, to march toward recovery and ultimately wellness. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we see that part of that being forgiveness. Um, talk a little bit about forgiveness and the role of dysfunctional families and moving yeah. on and moving into a victor yeah. role. Yeah, forgiveness is a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Have you seen Downton Abbey? Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, man, mm-hmm. I have just gotten into no. that show. What, just now? <laughs> oh, yes. You're a few years late. It's taken me about <laughs> three weeks. I know. <laughs> it's taken me about three, oh, maybe two months. I but love I it. mean, I'm oh, like on man. the edge of the final sure. six uh, uh, si- episode of yeah. the sixth season. Yeah. Oh, I love it. And there's a beautiful example in there mm-hmm. about forgiveness. Um, there's such beautiful nuggets of wisdom mm-hmm. in that show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The Dowager. Oh, that mm-hmm. woman's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so <laughs> Lord Grantham, uh-huh. at one point, maybe season two or three, he has a little tryst with one of the house servants. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And Lady Grantham doesn't find out about it. And so then about two or three seasons later, Lord Grantham is out on some hunting expedition, but he comes home early. Mm-hmm. And one of the guests that they had there at Downton Abbey was really taking an interest in Lady Grantham. Uh-huh. And so after everyone goes away, scurries back to their room, this, this man comes into Lady Grantham's room. And she's like mm-hmm. rebuffing him, telling him to get out. And right at that point, Lord Grantham comes in <laughs> and is just furious. They get into a fist fight. Well, so anyway, a, a couple of days later, you know, Lord Grantham just gave her the cold shoulder, just totally iced her sure. out. Angry. Yes, iced her resentful. out. Resentful. Now, she did the brilliant move. And I mean, ladies and gentlemen, this is the move if that stuff happens. 
She goes into <laughs> her husband's bedroom after he had been just a cold mm -hmm. a-hole for about, you know, a week or two. Mm -hmm. And he wouldn't share the bed with her. And she said this to him. She said, if you have never even looked with any sense of affection toward another woman or ever entertained any of her flirtations toward you, well, then you're entitled to sit in that bed. But if you have, I expect you to be in our bed tonight. And the next scene you see Lord Grantham's walking in the bedroom. That is great. And that's the thing about forgiveness. We need to play that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. If we really, yeah. if we really examine ourselves, yeah. we realize that we are so yeah. guilty of things that we're no. holding other people, that we're holding back forgiveness. So yeah. Yeah. it's about examining yourself and realize really that and I can speak for myself. I have been a, a generous recipient of grace in my life and mm -hmm. forgiveness. Yeah. I, I have been forgiven far more than I've been persecuted or, or held accountable for. Mm -hmm. So that's a beautiful thing to remember. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it is. Absolutely. That was a great analogy as All well. Right. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Uh, what does post-trauma distress look like? Yeah. So, well, there we go. Downton Abbey again. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Seventh episode of the sixth season. <laughs> he is good. Mary. Yeah. So Mary's husband, he survived the war. I mean, just terrible. The World War One. He comes back, recovers, then they get married. And then on like the morning that her baby's born, he dies in a car crash. And so her new suitor ends up he's a car racer and she's having a real difficult time you know dealing Aww. with sure but she's manifesting ptsd right there in the show right. trigger the this hypersensitivity we were to ask about that. situations and circumstances that kind of remind you of the traumatic experience avoidance mm -hmm. that's another thing people right. try to avoid people and places and things mm -hmm. that remind trigger. them uh another thing is a weird kind of dynamic but it's called dissociation people yes. just kind of check out absolutely um, yep and other, another one's hypervillage. When you say, what do you mean? Checking out dissociation. Well, yeah, dissociation. It is this uh, defense mechanism that we use. It's a psychic defense mechanism where we split off fragments of our experience because we can't quite organize them. We, we can't think huh. about them. And when we get too close to them, then a person usually does like a ricochet back into some dissociative state where they're not even aware of what's going on. Right. Those are some of the examples of yeah. PTSD, post-traumatic wow. stress. Yeah. I love your uh, approach to therapy. I love you being a part of our team. I'm so glad you're, you're a part of what we do every day because you help mm -hmm. so many people. And you're so in tune with what you do. What is your own understanding of understanding the human condition? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Wow, that's beautiful. Yeah. I, I don't think there's a more noble work that we can do than to continue to endeavor to understand the human condition. Mm -hmm. And in particular, when it comes to family of origin or relationships, uh, I've asked people throughout my experiences, work, yeah. life, whatever, what's the most important thing to you in your life? And I've known people that have planes, boats, and cars, mm -hmm. and not, not one of them said plane, boat, or car. Right. Mm -hmm. Car. It's family. It's people. Mm -hmm. It's connection. It's partner. It's wife. It's kids. And so that's why it's so valuable and it's such a noble endeavor mm -hmm. because 
really, if you were to interview 100 people on the street right now, mm -hmm. this is what's the most important thing in their life. It's mm -hmm. not whatever's going on in the news. It's mm -hmm. not whether or not their yard's getting watered mm -hmm. or if whatever. It's about, it's not even really about money. Now, usually mm -hmm. people put finance in those top sure. three, but it's relationships. Yeah. And, and that's how family therapy and doing relational work is so important to understanding the human condition because yeah. it is a driver of a lot of the dysfunction, but it's also in many ways the savior. Yeah. It's, it mm -hmm. is the resource that gets people back to a place of hope and optimism when they experience that love and connection mm -hmm. with people mm -hmm. who really do care about them. Mm -hmm. And you know, the thing about it is that that's what the therapeutic alliance is. Yeah. And it's a healthy, intimate, empathic relationship that can yeah. nurture a person into a place where they can have hope in the human condition again. Yep. Mm -hmm. I had a therapist today call me and or actually text me and say, uh, I'm going to play your, podca your podcast today for all the patients in the treatment center. All right. So we have a treatment center listening oh, to us well, today. I hope so they got something out of that. I was yeah. going to say, what do you want to leave patients who are out there listening today with and talking about family dysfunction and about dysfunctional families? Yeah. What would you like to have as a takeaway? And thank yeah. you for being our guest today. My, it was my pleasure. Yeah. Uh, one thing is there's nothing that we can do to improve your past. Yeah. Okay. Everything that's happened in your life has made you who you are yeah. today. Mm -hmm. But it's what you do today that is going to define who you are tomorrow. So we can't undo the past. What we can do is we can, we can dissipate, reorganize, reprocess some mm -hmm. of the ways we've integrated those yeah. past experiences, those models from earlier relationships into our understanding of life. And then we can extract the, the nutrients that are mm -hmm. valuable, that are going to fuel us, that are going to resource us, that are going to grow us. And we're going to eliminate the aspects, the, the, the stuff that's really not helpful and yeah. it's destructive yeah. and it's toxic. And we're going to move forward with a new commitment to really optimal personality and relationship functioning. And so mm -hmm. that, that is what motivates me to through the traffic and get to work on time uh -huh. is it we, yeah. we get to do that we, yeah. we get to help people move from a place of hopelessness to a place of hope and if mm. someone wants to learn how to do that through you how yeah. do people reach you oh yeah well so i'm not real active on <laughs> social media maybe mm -hmm. i'll start yeah. doing some stuff I, I used to have the twitter i think it was vmb3 phd mm -hmm. twitter um but the uh, instagram vaughn v-a-u-g-h-n-m mm -hmm. bryant I, 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 which is Roman numeral three. Yeah. Instagram. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. And they can also reach you at jflowershealth.com. Yeah, yeah. I, I yes. thought you were asking about exactly. social media. Right. No, That's no, right. either way. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> J Flowers Health Institute, I'm yeah. primary therapist there. Yeah. And uh, I am licensed marriage and family therapist. I, I bring that specialization mm -hmm. into my work. Yeah. And J Flowers Health Institute, it's uh, www.jflowershealth.com. <laughs> That's there us. You go. We're always That's there. That's right. Absolutely. We are always. Thank you. I mean, in every way, we are always there. That's true. I'm on yeah. call this week. Thank you for spending time. Time with us and I want to remind everybody watching and listening that there are numerous platforms that they can find us YouTube Apple SoundCloud Spotify Stitcher and iHeartRadio please um, share it on your social media like subscribe and um, share it with someone that you think will really heal and help with this episode
And as always, we want to remind you that a clear diagnosis is the key to the most effective treatment possible. See you next week, everybody. Thank you you so much. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, Thank you, Dr. Brian. Please join us every week for a new episode of Understanding the Human Condition with Dr. James Flowers. Dr. Flowers and his most admired mentors, respected colleagues, and VIP guests will share valuable insight into underlying health causes, conditions, and issues. These in-depth yet approachable episodes are a great resource for both private individuals and industry professionals. Our esteemed host, Dr. James Flowers, is one of the most recognized and respected names in the field of chronic pain, mental health, and substance use disorders, both nationally and internationally. Dr. Flowers is the founder of J. Flowers Health Institute, located in Houston, Texas. For more information about J. Flowers Health Institute and its concierge services, go to jflowershealth.com or dial 713-783-6655. And be sure to mention this podcast.